We as a church family are experiencing a return to an understanding of one of the most important terms when it comes to who we are and what we do, and it's called worship. Worship. And with that in mind, we are seeing such a deliberate designation from the scriptures that it's possible that uh, there are folks who are gathering in buildings at this particular time all over the world, and what they're doing doesn't qualify as worship. You say, Rick, are you the last arbiter on who's doing what and what's right and what's wrong? Oh, no, no. We know where to go for absolute truth, and we know where to hear from the Word of God, and that's the Scriptures. And so what we have learned this far, or thus far, is to recognize that our Holy Father, who is seeking worshipers, who is spirit, and seeking them to worship Him in spirit and truth, is requiring of all worshipers to be holy people. And with that in mind, we can see the emphasis upon this holiness because we have recognized that when God took the stiff-necked Israelites out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, ultimately to get them into the promised land, He knew that He was dealing with His children who were sinners, who would fall and do wrong things and then right things and worship Him sometimes and not some other times. And as they were fickle and not necessarily always faithful, He knew that He had to have a way to approach Him. Because that's what sinners need, a provision made by God in a way to approach. Because God knows He needs to be experienced by sinners. So we can have forgiveness and we can have that life that He wants from us and for us. So this is why we recognize that when they came out of Egypt, God instructed them with plans that were very meticulous, straight from the Lord. No allowance of any human potential or ability or opinion. Only God saying, this is the way I would have you to build it, and these are the designs. And he brought them into the experience of putting a tent up out in the desert. And that tent, we know, is the tabernacle, ultimately become a temple. And ultimately, the whole reason for that was, is God had to have for his people a way that he could be in contact with them, him being the holy God and them being sinners like me and like you. We saw how God was very serious in giving the very direct commands. This is what's supposed to be inside there as as the vessels, the instruments. And this is how the temple structure is supposed to be, the tent structure. These are the colors that the fabric is to be woven into. This is how it's supposed to be designed to the exact. And then he set aside the specific people who were there to lead the nation in worship. Of course, there was Moses whom God would use to write the first five books of the Bible. But there was also Moses as his mouthpiece speaking to Aaron, his brother, Moses' brother. And God would set Aaron and his four sons aside and say, you are going to be anointed. That anointed word becomes very, very important because the anointed would be for them in the Old Testament Oil that would be poured over their individual heads. And as the nation recognized that, it was God saying, I have chosen these men to be my priests. Aaron to be the high priest, his sons to be priests. And those priests will be before you constantly doing the work inside the tabernacle. As you approach God, they're going to make it possible within their roles for you to work through them to come to me. Well, that's how it was set up in the Old Testament. And boy, we know that God was extremely uh, meticulous in nature and it was important that you followed through with what he said. This is the way you need to do it because we have in Leviticus chapter 10 that we've already gone over how two of Aaron's sons in one day would be struck dead because they came to worship 
in a way that was not commanded of God. The Bible says that those two brought strange fire. Strange fire. Now, we know that fire in the tabernacle came from this big place that you first came. When you first came to the opening of the tent of the tabernacle, you would immediately see <clears throat> this big altar wherein they would kill the animals. And it was always, there was fire that was there. And that's where they would kill them and burn them. And that would ultimately be the burnt offering so that the sin of the sinner could be covered or forgiven, if you please, by God, that was the way of approach. First deal with man and any uncleanness or any sin in any person's life had to be dealt with so that God could be approached. So that was the initial thing. There's where the fire. Well, these fellas, Nadab and Abihu, we know their names from Leviticus 10, brought strange fire. It wasn't fire as commanded. You do a study on that term strange. And we see strange fire there. We know that Solomon, the king, was not so wise after a while because the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 11 that he married strange women. Hundreds of them. And the Bible says strange women. We know in the book of Jude... Jude describes the people in Sodom and Gomorrah that we experienced hellfire and brimstone falling from heaven to kill all of them because they went after strange flesh. And we know the terminology of the strange literally means of another kind. You say, what do you mean? So what's so important? There's a lot of another kinds of everything's in the world. But when God says, this is the way that I would have you to approach me, and there is another way that you choose to try to approach him because you don't think God is serious or because you're under the influence, like Solomon, of the strange women who have strange gods who are pulling his heart away from God and therefore God can't bless Solomon's life because he's openly rebellious because the Bible says he loved the strange women. He made that decision knowing that God didn't have that for him. And therefore you see his kingdom fall all apart in the end. It splits and Israel's in trouble from then on. So we find this indication from God that God declares in the approaching of him, which we know as worship, you're here today not to sit in a pew or a seat to think about, I want to listen to the preacher or hear the music. No, ultimately you are here if you're here for the right reason, the God reason, and that is to worship God. And if you're here to worship God, then that means you're coming here because you want to meet with God and to celebrate God and the gift of God, His Son, Jesus Christ. And the one who ultimately re reveals the secret of worship is truly the Holy Spirit. So this morning, if the Holy Spirit is directing you in worship, you know it. You'll experience God as the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you, reveals the words of God to you, and you will encounter Him on that very important one-on-one -on -one basis. So worship is critical, and God kills two men because they're under some influence that God can be approached in worship as they choose instead of as He directs. And so there it is. They are done. We see that. Moses tells Aaron, now don't get upset about your two sons dropping dead at this moment. You've got two more and they better be advised to do things exactly the way that I say or they won't make it either. 
And then he says to them something very interesting in Leviticus chapter 10, I believe it's verse 7, where he says, now remember that they had that oil. That's why all this is so serious. Remember they had that oil poured on them in front of all the people. Remember that their lives as Aaron and his four sons were set aside to minister unto me, God says. Exodus chapter 29. And so it is, they were to be in that role and be aware of their identity being priests. <clears throat> so God took their calling that he had given them extremely seriously, especially when they were responsible for leading the people to have the opportunity to worship. And so their lives would represent that role for people to have an avenue through their lives to get to God, through their lives to get to God. Now think about it just for a moment. Think about it in relationship to this anointing of oil and how it relates directly to the person of the Holy Spirit and the New Testament believer, because the same terminology is given. And listen to the scriptures here from 1 John 2. I've just written them down. You can write it in your margin. 1 John 2, 20 and following. But ye have an unction of the Holy One, and ye know all things. Now hang on to that just a minute, because there are people, all of us in this sanctuary don't know everything. We know that. So what does the Bible mean? What does God mean? Well, you have the unction of the Holy Spirit and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lies of the truth. But the anointing that ye have received of him abideth in you or remains in you. And you need not that, uh, that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, while in him, then ye shall, uh, when he, Jesus Christ, shall appear, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Jesus Christ is coming back. What if he caught you living in a way that was in sin? That means some believers, it's possible that some believers are going to be living on this earth when Jesus Christ comes for us. And it's possible we'll be living in a way that would cause us shame. That's what is reference here to. And then he says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now let's make it simple. You know all things. This is what Christians know. In Leviticus 10.10, 10, Moses would say, God would say to Aaron and his sons. Now the reason why this has been such a drastic thing in which two have lost their lives is because there was a, they didn't take, <coughs> pay attention to, nor listen closely to, nor were obedient in the understanding that priests were to reveal to the world what holy was versus unholy, what unclean was versus clean. Okay? Their lives were not only involved in the tabernacle, but their lives, as the pouring of the oil would indicate, a perpetual state of being in which their calling was their identity. Their priesthood was their identity. And what was their identity? When they walked out into the crowd, they were to reveal what is clean, what is unclean? What is holy? What is unholy? 
Now we come to the New Testament. The Bible says the New Testament believers have the Holy Spirit within them. And he's not called the unholy spirit, he's called the Holy Spirit. So you know when the Holy Spirit's dwelling within us and ruling our lives, you know what we're going to be. Holy people. Absolutely holy people. And you know what we're going to be, which we know for sure. Now this is what we know that nobody needs to teach us. No man needs to teach a Christian this. Right from wrong. Uh-uh. There isn't anybody in the sanctuary, young or old, who doesn't already, certainly as a Christian, you are not already equipped with what's right and wrong. And if you've got good parents and you're not a Christian yet, you're already in the instruction of what is right and what is wrong. And so God is saying, the Holy Spirit's living within you. You've got the truth within you, which is no lie. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. There is a way that pleases God in your living, and there is a way in our living that doesn't please God. Now, nobody has to teach that. Now, we can get into the meticulous nature and the nature of what the Bible says, and in your growing in Christ, you say, oh boy, I didn't understand that at that time, and then you get it. And I understand that at the time, but here's what we know is there is truth and there's a lie. There's right, there's a wrong. There is clean and there is unclean. There is holy and there is unholy. Now, the worship issue is, according to God, remember, God says there's only one way to worship me in spirit and in truth. And then he says for us that we must worship in spirit and truth. And he told the lady at the woman of the well, you're worshiping here on the mountain. You don't know why. You don't know what. And that's happening today all over the world. And then he says, we are, uh, salvation is of the Jews uh, and Jews worship in Jerusalem. But there's coming a day when it's not going to be on Mount Gerizim and Samaria. And it's not going to be in Jerusalem at that temple. And we're going to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. So it can be here today. Here today. And the knowledge that worship is, is not to be confined to Sunday morning from 11 to 12. Worship is the revelation of a lifestyle where the people are called to be priests and we're to be seen as different in that we live holy and clean lives. Now that's the truth. So if I'm talking to young people, Today, and I was saying, boy, did you worship? And you'd say, oh, man, I was swaying with the music. It was so good. Or, Brother Rick, you're preaching. That's better than white bread. You'd have missed it. Because I will know about your worship. Let's just say no weather, no problems. I would know about your worship when you, your feet hit the ground in the school tomorrow morning. And if you are truly worshiping and have been affected by worship, then when you hit the ground tomorrow morning in school, your life will identify what's clean versus what's unclean, what's holy versus what's unholy. And man, it's possible you'll part the sea. Because here's what will happen. If you're living for the Lord, those who aren't may give you up and want you out of their lives. Worship. One of the greatest disasters of our culture is it's considered to happen on Sundays. And that's never God's biblical teaching as far as that's worship. Oh, no, no. Worship is so effect to affect us that we realize that that's the secret to our identifying ourselves with him, with his call upon our lives, and the greatest simplicity of it's either holy or unholy. Clean or unclean. 
Now let's consider this day, that same pathway, which we are understanding that's a part and parcel with our identity, that is eternity. <laughs> On Sunday, do you want to be known as a Christian? How about Monday? Do you want to be known as a Christian? On Sunday in this building, do you want to be known as a Christian? How about Monday when you get to work? Do you want to be known as a Christian? You see, that's what this is really all about. And that's the God who doesn't shut down on Sunday so that we can go on with the rest of the week until we worship again next Sunday. Oh, no, no, no. That's not the biblical understanding of worship. And I'm afraid too often it's misunderstood and folks aren't experiencing God in worship. So with that in mind, let's go into Isaiah chapter 6. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. And we've got a beautiful thing to discover here in that God is seeking true worshipers. And as God is seeking true worshipers, we will see the very direct path that is defined for us and how we can say after today, I understand better worship. And so as a Christian, I want to be identified today in my world simply as a Christian. As a Christian, I want to be identified as a Christian, not someone who's trying to be a Christian, but as a Christian. I want to be identified today as a child of God, not as a person who's trying to be a child of God, but as a child of God. Now, with that in mind, we come to Isaiah chapter 6. And as we come, I want you to look with me into verses 1 through 8. Would you stand in honor of God's word? Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. Each twain covered his face, and the twain covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from tong, with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also... I heard the voice of the Lord. Precious Father, thank you for the reading of your word, the truth. Thank you, precious Father, for guiding us into the discovery of great treasure so that we can truly learn what it means to satisfy you in seeking true worshipers. And that's what we want to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You're here this morning. People are online this morning. What the idea generally thought of is, is worship. Are we? Is it true? Can I qualify as a person who qualifies to worship this morning? Now think about that just for a moment. Everybody's glad you're here. But God is meticulous in that God is seeking true worshipers. That means there are false ones out there. That means people are misdirected in their object of worship and missing the point. Here is Jesus saying, he says, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. John chapter 4. 
Now, here we are. Let's make this real practical. Real practical. The ones this morning, the ones this morning, wherever across the world they are, and it may not even be this morning this morning, it may be this night in another part of the world, but the ones who are truly worshiping and have come to that moment together in worship as a congregation like this have already been in the Word of God. Have already been in the Word of God. Now you say, wait a minute, Brother Rick. Uh, I hadn't been in the Word of God till last Sunday, and that was when you were preaching at me. You're missing worship. Now you say, hey, Brother Rick, how do you lay a foundation for that? Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we see a beautiful experience of the indication of God's presence and the encounter with his man. The prophet Isaiah and what that encounter meant for Isaiah and meant for the Lord. Did you uh, get this? This is very scholarly. That's chapter 6. There's chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 that go before that. If you get into chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, you know what you're going to get? The words of God. And the words of God... We're designating and directing this person called Isaiah the prophet's life and saying, here's the vision that God has for you. Here's what's going to be the timetable that God has for you when you're fulfilling the prophet, being the role of the prophet. And here's what's going to take on its, uh, the idea of how he's going to be working in your life, through your life. And God is speaking concerning this prophet, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and then chapter 6, worship. And so now listen, precious folks. If you and I will come, let's just say we're going to get it right next Sunday, Lord willing, we're here. And if I'm going to get worship right next Sunday, you know what I'm going to be doing before next Sunday? I'm going to be in the Word of God, letting Him speak to me right up to the next time I come together as a congregation to worship. Why? Because that's what is required of God to meet with God prior to the celebration of God with his people concerning worship because it has to do with the prior experience in the words of God that the worshipers would have with God. Now mark that down. And the, the cautionary tale goes with this in that here's the other extreme. It's a sad, terrible, horrible breaking the heart of God kind of thing. When a Christian wants to be identified with a Christian and will not be identified with the words of God. You say, Brother Rick, I, I like the way my church sings and I like the way my preacher preaches. I'm so sorry you haven't even experienced worship yet. If you walk away and still you come away with no hunger for the words of God. You cannot worship. As a believer, unless you have prior been in the word of God so that he's prepared your heart for worship. Okay? One through five and then six. Now think about the ramifications and the application and it's just simple as that. Christians trying to get by without living in the words of God will not allow that Christian to experience what God has for them in the experience of true worship. I'll get to that in a minute, but please note that. Did you notice what I've got in there in your outline from 1 Timothy chapter 2? And you look at, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Paul tells his son in the faith, Timothy says, Study 
Study what? The Bible. There's no other thing. Study to show yourself approved. A workman who needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth? Yeah, let's talk basic. Did you know there's a division in the Bible? We've got 39 one first books and it's called the Old Testament. And then 27 of the other books called the New Testament. 66 books. Did you know that there were 66 books in Isaiah? And you better divide Isaiah correctly. And if you don't, then you're going to find yourself all messed up. Because did you know in Isaiah chapter 61 when Jesus Christ began to quote that in the temple and he said, this is the day of the acceptable year of the Lord and he's fulfilling that. Did you know that he stopped at 61.1 partially and then before he got into two fully, he stopped completely in the temple reading. And it was in between one verse and another verse. You know why? Because there's 2,000 years between those verses. You say, Rick, what in the world? All I'm talking about is study to show yourself approved. And when you do, boy, will you be excited the way God speaks and reveals his plan concerning his son, Jesus Christ. And he does how that involves you and the timetable for which it involves you. Knowing that Jesus Christ, as we have learned, we don't want to be ashamed of his coming. And when could Jesus Christ come? At any moment. But Jesus Christ can't come at any moment if you don't divide the Word of God correctly because there are still seven years of tribulation. If you think today's cold, you just wait until hell is unleashed on this earth. And the Bible describes that as great tribulation. And when that happens, that's, Daniel says, that's Jacob's time of trouble. And uh, does that involve the church or does that involve the Jews? Does that involve both of us? Does that involve that time period? And what about the Antichrist? Why, folks, I would say, that if you want to worship and to know God's timeline and to know how it affects you and me, we better study the Word of God so that the Holy Spirit can teach us in how to rightly divide it, not just from 39 to 27 books, but also even two verses. What an amazing thing the Word of God and the plan of God is. And so Isaiah has five chapters of God saying, this is what's going on, this is the plan, this is what I'm going to do with your life. And then chapter 6, worship. No Christian can worship as God designs it, directs it, defines it, commands it, if that Christian doesn't have a steady diet in the Word of God. Right? We also see that you say, well, God's not. God is spiritual, and so He doesn't. We're down here on this earth, and does He really know what's going on with us? Does He really care? Not only do we see the relevance of this in the connotation of the previous study has to do with our practical experience in worship, but there's also a practical relationship to worship. And that practical relationship to worship is political. <laughs> Don't you love today the word political? Did you see in chapter 6 and verse 1, the worship experience starts out with the context. In the year that King Uzziah died. 
And in that context, you remember 1-1, which says, God is telling Isaiah in 1-1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. There's his location where he's going to go. Days of Uzziah, Joseph, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. He's going to, Isaiah is going to minister during four kings' reigns. Chapter 6, verse 1, one is gone. In the year that King Uzziah died, there are three left. That means there's going to be political upheaval and changes all along, all along his prophecy time of Isaiah, his call upon his life during Isaiah. I just wanted to know, did you know that we have a new administration in the White House? Why, if you didn't know that, you've been hiding under a rock. I don't care what age you are. And you might say, and Brother Rick, I like the former one better than I do the present one, or I like the present one better than I do the former one. Let me let you know, if the Lord doesn't come back, there are going to be more. This president and that president, this president and that president. And so what God says to us is, here's the consistent theme of the Christian's life in the midst of change, even in the midst of the highest offices of the land where kings are ruling. The consistent way to stay focused no matter what changes are coming is to worship me. Is to worship me. Now, what do we say worship is? Worship is knowing that a holy God requires holy worshipers. Worship means that the worshipers will define the life of clean versus unclean, holy versus unholy. Worshipers means that you and I have already understood that unless you have a prior engagement with God in the words of God, you can't come on Sunday and experience worship. So you say, oh boy, that disqualifies a bunch. Yeah, that's why this day there are a whole bunch of people who are gathered who don't qualify. And think when they leave that day, they have worshipped. And they have not. Because they have not met the standard. We also know not only was a, a time in which we see God showing us in the previous study, always the previous study, study to show yourself approved, always that's got to be a part of our lives and the political words, but this is what we know because of this. Isaiah 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then chapter 6, worship. All of that says to us, no words from God, no worship of God. No words from God, no worship of God. Now, that's so stark and direct, that means... One, if that worship service to you is evaluated on how high you can jump in the middle of the service, that's not the point with God. It's not how high you can jump during the service. It's how straight you can walk when you hit the ground. Trying to evaluate worship according to the preaching or the singing is totally lost on God if it doesn't include your hunger for the words of God. Worship is completely foreign to God if we think it happens on Sunday morning and not Monday when you get to school. So with these very, very important divine designs, we see why we've had a need to return to biblical worship. Because it's not about sitting in a seat in a building, it's about a life that's been changed to reveal God in the world. Then we also know this, true worshipers, are always confronted from the spiritual reality. 
always confronted from the spiritual reality, from the spiritual reality. Now, what I would love to do is be able to orchestrate this thing in this sanctuary, and I've talked about this before, where all of these uh, seats have seat warmers, and we turned off all the heat or all the cooler, whatever. and if it's in the winter, you just say seat warmers, because what I would do is rewire them, and at a certain point, I would electrocute you. <laughs> and you would jump out of your seat and say, the Holy Spirit! And I would try to manipulate you. You'd say, oh, Rick, that's happening Sundays all over the world. People are being manipulated into thinking that they're worshiping. And all it is is having to do with the devil and his ability to create a counterfeit. Now, this is very important because that reality is very important to recognize. Because here is, here is Isaiah. And he is, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship it in spirit and truth. And if God is spirit, you know that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And as you're re realizing the Holy Spirit, you know he's the Holy Spirit, not the sometimes spirit that is holy. No, 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 that's the Holy Spirit. And we've already heard from 1 John chapter 2 that the anointing that you have as a Christian is not oil poured over you that designs you in your office concerning the Old Testament reality of those priests, but your New Testament priests. And you have the New Testament reality of acknowledging I'm a Christian. And I'm going to identify myself as a Christian wherever I am and be identifiable as a Christian. And so, therefore, the idea of holiness, how do we get that? Well, here's Isaiah, and he comes to church on that day. He's called Temple. And when he gets into that Temple presence, that experience of where he's going for the presence of God, God shows up, sure enough. And when God shows up, all of a sudden his vista and his vision is opened up to what God is doing. Wouldn't you like to have that this morning? You know, and instead of some kind of a... If all of a sudden angels start flying around in this room, wouldn't that be so cool? Well, they're here. They're just called New Testament, Old Testament, spirit beings. Which means you would know they were here if you already were exercising your Bible experience and able to acknowledge, I know they're here because God says the angelic presence is going to be involved in worship because they celebrate when one sinner repents. There's a great rejoicing. And so if you were here this day and you didn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you were defined as lost, and you were defined as without Jesus Christ and without hope and without God, and you trusted in Jesus today, Boy, talk about a spiritual celebration. Sometimes we don't say amen enough. Sometimes we don't say praise the Lord enough. Sometimes we don't say hallelujah enough when truly a life is changed and born from above. But I'm telling you what, heaven gets it loud and right every single time there is an act of God from heaven that is resulting on a person's life changed on earth. Holiness. And so here we have it. Here you have this, according to Isaiah chapter 6, we read about it. And as we looked in Isaiah chapter 6, all of a sudden it's opened up to him as the Lord fills the temple, as the Lord fills the place. Have you ever experienced that before? We're not told that Isaiah was just by himself, but we're told he experienced the Lord by himself. And this morning, did you know when I was of that 11-year-old age and got saved in Memphis, Tennessee, with 2,000 other people sitting in different seats or in sanctuary that was huge? I just thought it was the Lord and me. Because I was the one that was under conviction and I was the one that knew of my sin and I was the one who knew that Jesus died for me. And it wasn't anymore for God so loved the world. The Holy Spirit brought that right to my attention that he so loved me. 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, and the whosoever was no, no longer a whosoever, it was a me-soever. And the Holy Spirit made all of that truth very personal, the person of Jesus Christ, and it was just like it was us. And here's Isaiah, one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. As the Lord filled that place up, smoke filled the temple. And then did you notice, when it filled the temple, when the Lord came in and His presence was truly identifiable, so it was, the spirit world opened up to Him with the Lord who is spirit, and when it did, and above it, the throne of God stood seraphims. What strange creatures would that be? Well, we know that we have, according to the Bible, when you study the Bible and you rightly divide the word of truth, you find that there are cherubims that are above, seraphims, and what identifiable role that they have. And then you have not only cherubims and seraphims, but then you have these angelic beings that have been created called angels. Uh, but then you also have these uh, spirit beings that are involved in the world that are in an order, according to Ephesians chapter 6, and there are, there's the devil... And there's general demon this, and captain demon that, and sergeant demon this, and private demon that. And folks, when you're in worship, you're fully aware of the spiritual beings involved. And so here are seraphim. The Bible says plural seraphims. These strange creatures have six wings. Six of them. I know your vision of what you've seen in some kind of portrait about a wing having two, an angel having two wings. No, these are seraphim having six wings. And that'd be a beautiful study because if you continue to rightly study the Word of God, this would further open up unto you as you why six wings? Because we know that each of them have uniquely been created of God. It's not like Adam and Eve, like you and me. We all come from that line. Each one of them were created individually like cherubim, like angels. And here are these six wings, and the Bible says with two they covered their feet, and with two they covered their face, and with two they flew. And it's said that they flew around that throne constantly saying, Holy, holy, holy. Why do we have seraphims created? The Bible would teach us it seems as if their whole identity is wrapped around the worship of God Almighty. And that's why they are who they are. It makes me see spiritual beings created by God to fulfill their role to let us see into eternity. Oh, I might just say that Christians truly are spiritual beings created by God, born from heaven, from above, who have come to know Jesus Christ so that the world can see eternity more clearly. Worship opens our eyes to the world of the Spirit. And now Christians and only Christians who rightly divide the word of truth and find themselves in the discovery of the truth in the word of God begin to see the unseen as the word of God reveals eternity right before your very eyes. Holiness. Well, say, boy, Brother Rick, you've been harping on that stuff here. A holy God requires holy worshipers, holy, holy, holy. These beings created to continue to praise the Lord with holy, holy, holy all the time. Seems like you're caught up on that. Yes. Because that's the climate of worship. But then also this. 
you're saying, what's it going to be worth to me? I'm going to come out of here and I'm just going to be exhausted saying holy the whole time. That's going to be worship. I'm going to be exhausted to think once I get out of the sanctuary and I head into Monday morning that the Lord expects me to be a person that identifies with cleanliness and godliness. Yes. But Brother Rick, you don't know me. I'm a sinner. Yes. But don't identify yourself as a sinner. Identify yourself as a saint who's been saved. And if you fail in your sin, get back as quickly as possible to holiness. And you know how quickly as possible is? That fast. Because God is that fast in his ability to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to put us into the mind of Christ so that our mind's gone from that establishment of trying to justify the wrong that we're in. What a marvelous God we have. You see, here's the ultimate being that I see as one of the ultimates, I guess I would say, in this climate of opening us up to the spiritual world is, one, your spirit. You say, no, I'm not. I'm physical. I'm sitting in this sanctuary. Oh, you are for a short time, and your life on this earth is going to be for a short time, but I promise you there is more to you than your physical bodies, and you will know that the Scripture says that you have an eternal soul, which means... When we are broken and hurt, after a loss, our comfort knows that that person doesn't stop in that casket. That person who is a child of God goes on to be with the Lord. Why? Because truly, folks, we are not people with a short-term life in a body. We are people with an eternal life with a short-term body. And it all depends on where we're going to spend that eternity. Is it through Jesus Christ trusting in Him as our Savior and going to heaven? Or is it not trusting in Jesus Christ, rejecting Jesus Christ and going to hell? Holiness, God says, oh, it's so important. I'm seeking worshipers because it's not only that which glorifies me, but it's that which benefits the worshiper. Benefits the worshiper. Precious folks, it's so much healthier to live a life that's not living in sin. But it's also a spiritual reality that has to do with what's going on. So if I'm going to be a worshiper, this is what I know. This has to do with my life lived on a battlefield. You are living on planet Earth, and there's plenty of folks out there who don't think like a Christian, don't act like a Christian, and are harmful to your life. Now, let's note in Scripture, why worship? Because it's a war zone, and why does worship make that important that we worship? Well, notice, please, if you would. Go to, if you would, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. 2 Chronicles 20, 21. Now, I know I've gone by in your order of service that God can only be worshipped by a holy worshiper. And beauty to God is the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness. But now notice this. The beauty of holiness is the atmosphere. It's the atmosphere for victory. Worshiping God in the beauty of His holiness, 2 Chronicles 20, 2 Chronicles, let me turn there, 
2 Chronicles chapter 20, and look if you would please, beginning in 21. 2 Chronicles 20, beginning in verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. How are you going to worship the Lord? Only in the beauty of holiness. And they're praising the beauty of that holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord for His mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, uh, praise the Lord set ambushments, this is King James, against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. <laughs> this is great. When they were rightly worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness, remember holiness is everything to the Lord. Worshiping Him must be done in the beauty of holiness. Here's what God showed them. We're going to war. Israelites versus the Ammonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Termites and everybody else that are the ites in the land. That's the enemy. Now they're literally on a land facing people physically who are standing against the very life of the Israelites. And God said, here's the battle. Here's who you have to fight. They're wanting to stamp out my way. And you've got to lead in the victory to defeat them. But here's how you're going to do it. Put the choir in the lead. Every church needs a good choir. And all the choir people are in the pews. Because every member ought to be a member of the choir. To be able to sing praises to the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And then did you notice this? this is amazing. God says this is the way I want it done. Put the choir members out there. Have them sing praises to me in the beauty of holiness because I'm holy. Sing praise because I'm holy. And as they're doing that... I'm going to go ahead and set up ambushes against the enemy ahead of you. So by the time you get to the enemy, I will have ambushed every one of them. Now, precious believers, you and I, if you didn't know it already, I'm telling you, I've seen the invisible and I know it to be true. According to Ephesians chapter 6, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Old Testament, they were wrestling, fighting against flesh and blood. Ammonites. We are wrestling against that which is an unseen enemy called the devil. We have a warfare against unseen enemies called demons. And the war is on. And those demons are after you. And the devil wants to destroy your life. So, Brother Rick, what do I need to do about that? Well, as you and I study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth and recognize that's what's going on, then we worship, we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, and He ambushes them before they ambush us. Have you ever been ambushed by the devil? I certainly have. Oh, I was just going along, having a great time, you know, just working and everything was going well. And then all of a sudden in my mind was a flood of thoughts that were just absolutely filthy. And I hadn't just gotten out of an R-rated movie. And it was totally unclean and unholy. And I was ambushed. And what do I have to do with that? 
I had to take that caught captive into the obedience of the Lord and say, this is not holy thinking. This is not clean thinking. Lord, rescue me from this. I worship you as the author of clean and holy. I confess this. I, I rebuke it. I come against it because it's not clean and it's not holy. Have you ever had a thought that was unholy or unclean and you let it stay too long? The Bible says if I regard, that's what that means, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. Oh, precious believers, he's the very one to deliver us from that ambush. And if he's not going to hear us, we have no hope. So you and I recognize the plumb line is very clear. No one needs to be taught. That's wrong. Yeah, that's right. And so worship means if I will worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, if I will value his holiness for me and my life as well, he will take care of ambushing my enemies. What a marvelous thing. If I don't Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I promise you this. You will be ambushed and you won't like it. You won't like it. Worship is critical for us to be victorious in the war. Let me also state here from the scriptures. It's very important that we see. Psalm 96. Psalm 96. Turn there please. Worship is important, not only because of the warfare that we're engaged in, that we want to be victorious in, but also, notice please, if you would, in Psalm 96, verse 9. 96, verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the, what? Beauty of holiness. Beauty of holiness. Now that means, again, folks, if you come in here and you think I can have an ongoing living lifestyle that has sin in it, and come in here and sing the songs and listen to the preaching and call it worship, you're wrong. God doesn't accept it. He's not in it. But if we come acknowledging the greatest gift of life is that gift to experience God and we experience Him in the atmosphere of the beauty of His holiness, that's worship. And now please, here we are again. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Say among the heathen. Now I was brought up in the South. It wasn't heathen, it was heatherns. That's what you called the kids who, you know, Act like heathens. And so some of the instruction now for me is if I went over to a friend at maybe nine or ten years of age and I went over to a friend's house and I was going to get to spend the night. Big deal in Memphis. Go across the street. Neighbor spend the night. One of the instructions. Now don't you act like a heathen. Yeah. That's exactly what I got. And I knew exactly what they meant. Just like I didn't need to be taught anything about that. So notice, please, he says, say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Now listen, folks, you will not only see victory in your life through proper worship and holiness so that the Lord goes ahead of you and takes care of those who would ambush you, spiritual beings that want to take you out, but also... 
When you worship correctly, you're going to come into that experience of worship, which remember is not on Sunday morning at 1030 only, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because your life is lived not in the sanctuary of people where we don't find many heathens, but in the world where you live. You see, the other youth need to see that you love holiness more than anything because you love the Lord more than anything. And adults need to see that at the workplace. And you say, oh, Brother Rick, what a burden to put on me. Are you telling me that I have to be a witness wherever I am? No, I'm telling you that if you will worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, He will take care of the joy that He puts in your life and the power of the Spirit that He puts in your life so that when you are among the heathen, those that don't know Jesus Christ, those that may not even care about Jesus Christ, those that may be antithetical to Jesus Christ, you can still say, our Lord will. And that's why that precious lady that was the town problem in Samaria could run up the hill because Jesus had designs on saving the people in Sychar. But what he needed before he could save them was a witness to run and tell them about him. And he couldn't use that witness until she was a worshiper first. And that's where we get it all backwards. You need to witness, you need to witness, you need to witness. And 90% of Christians today, they say, have never shared the gospel. Why is that? Because we make it a rule instead of a part of the worship relationship. And folks, what if you just enjoyed the fact that the Lord was going ahead of you to take care of the ambushes that are taking place that want to get your life? And what if the Lord filled you up so much that you're not thinking, oh, I've got to share Christ today, that bums me. I'm afraid to share Christ today. I don't know what they'll think about me because there are a bunch of heathen there. Just worship the Lord. He'll take care of the rest. Because he reigns all over the whole universe. Certainly he can reign in our hearts and direct our lives according to his will and his passion and his boldness and his ability. And it's really not up to us anyway. You see, there's the, when we worship correctly, it makes all the difference in the world in the warfare that we're going to win. When we worship in the beauty of holiness according to God's standard, it makes all the difference in the world in our witness that needs to be radiant because our Lord reigns. And He's going to judge the world in righteousness. You say, what's the world coming to? I'll tell you. It's coming to Jesus. Don't worry. It's not happening the way you want it. He'll take care of you. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Then finally, why is worship important? Not just because of the situation of the war that we live in, it wants to take you out. Not just the situation where we need to be witnesses today, but also the situation because there's a warning. Remember, not just the war and not just the witness, but there's a terrible warning here that if we don't get worship right, we're really going to be in grave danger. You say, Rick, where do you get that? Well, um, I study the Word of God. And where do you get that? Well, I rightly divide the Word and I look where I know I can find that as the Holy Spirit directs me to it. And where would that be? Luke chapter 11. Thank you for turning there with me. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, 
And in Luke chapter 11, listen to Jesus. Luke chapter 11, listen to Jesus Christ, starting in verse 23. Luke chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus says, he that is not with me is against me. Now, folks, I want to ask you a question. Are you with Jesus Christ today, with his agenda, with his cause, with his purpose, with his love, with him, in that he's the Lord and we're the servants, the obedience? Are you with him or are you against him? The Bible doesn't say there's any middle ground where somebody's sitting back and saying, oh, I don't know. No, if you're one of the I don't knows and you're not with him, then you're against him. Because Jesus says, notice please, because he that is not with me, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. I just wonder if, you know, you're walking down the halls to your school, are the folks who are of Christ drawn so that you're a gatherer? And the folks who would say, I don't like your lifestyle, I don't care about you saying this is what I need to do is the right way to our right choices. No, and they scatter from you. Sometimes it's good to reveal you're a gatherer of the righteous and a scatterer of those who are heathens. You say, well, Rick, what do you do with the lost? You witness to them. But don't be surprised if you get to really start living for the Lord, if a lot of people start giving you up. Jesus said, with all of humankind in mind, you're either with me or against me. You're either gathering the people who are mine or you're scattering because people can't identify you. What, what are you? Clean, unclean, holy, unholy. And then he says this, an amazing statement. When the unclean spirit, next verse. When the unclean, not if, not if. When the unclean spirit. Now, I know there's the rest of the verse there, but when the unclean spirit. You say, Brother Rick, what am I learning today in worship? What am I acknowledging today in worship? That, boy, you are immersed into in a spiritual environment. And now your eyes have been opened faithfully, spiritually. If you're really looking with the Spirit and faithfully, you're seeing God on His throne. And you're seeing seraphims around Him crying, holy, 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 because the establishment of holiness is the atmosphere of worship, because that's how God's beauty is known in the beauty of holiness. And as that is indicated, if you say, oh, Brother Rick, I'll be so glad when you shut your mouth. It's about time for me to get the roast out of the oven. Oh, Brother Rick, I've been looking at my watch, and you're getting too close to that time when I know I need to go home. Oh, Brother Rick. And then out the door, somebody goes. And there is no impact on their life to carry the Word of God with them, to dissect the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There's no sense of, I need to be holy and I need to be clean. There's none of that. Well, folks, listen to me. You cannot get away from your spiritual world, even though you would get away from God. You say, what do you mean? The Bible says by Jesus, when an unclean spirit, when an unclean spirit. Now this is why, this is why God would be worshipped in the beauty of holiness. And the Holy Spirit would rule in your life. Because if you don't let holiness rule, you will have unholiness rule. If you don't see clean as the clean spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit calling you to clean living, so it is, I promise you this, there is one waiting out there, when, not if, but when, not if, but when, and they're going to get inside your house, and they're going to get inside your heart. And the Bible says when that unclean spirit that lives in that man finds that that man says, Oh, 
but I think I'll try to do a little better after hearing that preacher wrong. And the Holy, that unclean spirit leaves out of that man's life. And the Bible says it goes all throughout deserted desert kind of places and looks around, looks around, and then says, I'm going to go back to my house. You know why he calls it his house? Because that life has not been given over to the Lord Jesus Christ to make it God's house. And oh, how I want you so very desperately to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Lord of your house. Lord of your life. Because there are unclean spirits. Because the Bible says after he comes back, he invites others more, more deadly than himself. And the Bible says, Jesus says, and the last state of that man was worse than the first. Well, I think today we're in the state of Arkansas. But I think if you would see in worship, much more importantly, you would see this. You're in a spiritual state right now. That is totally comforting and powerful and loving that's in the person of the Holy Spirit and Jesus being in your heart? Or you're in a state where the devil's going to get you. You think, Rick, you ought to just try to scare me. Jesus said, he'll provide the clean. And then there are unclean spirits that he would warn us of. And they're, they're coming. And they're here. And they're all around you as close as the air is. Because the devil is the prince of the power of the air. And he wants to invade your life. That's why worship is so critical every day. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holy. Are you, God is seeking, God is seeking, right here, right online. He's seeking true worshipers. Would you say in your heart, I am one? If you can't say that, then would you say in your heart, God, you brought this message to me, had this appointment with me, because I would be one from this second forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for blessing us with the privilege of being one who encounters the truth. And as you have stated in 1 John 2, uh, we know that is truth as Christians. We know there's no lie in this truth. And dear Father, it's so critical today that we come to realize what true worship is because, Father, the warfare intensifies. And I see very, very young lives exposed to more and more filth all the time. And precious Father, the hope is holiness, your beauty. And the hope is clean living, which shows a clear path wherein there is security. And precious Father, where there is certainty and assurance. So Father, as we come into this invitation time, we know that you are seeking. And may in our hearts we raise our hands. And say, Lord, I never really understood before, but you placed me here by appointment. And I want my family and my personal life to be so persuaded by you that I would be one of those true worshipers. And it doesn't stop when I walk out of these buildings, but becomes a part of my life so that my testimony increases of how awesome you are 
in bringing victory to my life, that right now I feel hopeless and I need your hope. I feel anxious and I need your peace. I feel lost and I need your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, precious Father, thank you for moving in our lives this moment to bring about true worshipers. In Jesus' name we pray. Every head is bowed.